Good morning. Good morning. Hello. It feels extra bright up here. I can't see you. There we go. Hello. Good morning. Welcome. As you make your way into the sanctuary, let me just say welcome and good morning. It's great to see you all on this finally chilly October morning. It's about time, right? I am so grateful for the cooler fallish weather. So um, hopefully you will stay warm and toasty in here. Um, As we prepare our hearts for worship, I want to turn our attention to Psalm 145, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3, and I just pray that as we read these verses that you will quiet and still your hearts before the Lord and prepare yourself uh, to receive him this morning. It says, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. His greatness no one can fathom. We may not be able to fathom his greatness, but my prayer this morning is that we will experience his greatness. Amen. Would you pray that with me this morning, that we may not be able to fully comprehend or fathom the greatness and goodness of God, but I believe that we can experience it. And I just pray that he will move in a, in a fresh and new way among us this morning. Let's pray. Good Gracious God, we praise you this morning for being a God whose greatness we cannot fathom, but at the same time, you are our Father who loves us, who cares about us, and who will meet us in this place. So I pray, Lord, that we would experience your greatness in a new and fresh way this morning. God, would you move among us? Holy Spirit, would you be welcomed in this place? May we not aggravate or offend you by being closed off, but instead may we, with open hearts, fully welcome and receive you this morning. And I trust and pray, God, that you would do a new thing in and among us. We are here and we wait for you, O Lord. And God, we praise your holy name this morning. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Good morning. Please stand with us while we sing.
Church, will we make ourselves available to the Lord this morning? Will we make ourselves available each and every time he calls? Are you willing to put yourself to the side to receive more of Jesus? Church, my prayer for us is that we would be available to go, to do, and to be. And so my prayer for us this morning as we move into this time of prayer, I just pray that whatever is standing the way of Jesus having our all, maybe this morning, if you just close your eyes and consider what is standing in the way of Jesus having my all. As we move into a time of prayer, I pray that God would make that evident to us and that we would be able to lay that down to receive more of him. Let's pray. Lord God, I know you see our hearts this morning. I know, Lord, that you see us right where we are. And that I recognize, God, that we may perhaps all be in different places this morning. But God, my prayer for us, for your body, for your people, my prayer is that we would truly make ourselves available to you. Because the reality is, God, that, that we'll make ourselves available for many things. We will make ourselves available to and for many people. God, we choose when we're available and to whom we are available. And my prayer, Lord, is that you would take center stage in our hearts, that we would always be available to you. And God, whatever may be standing in the way this morning for some of us, whatever stands in the way of some of us giving you all of ourselves. God, I pray. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would show us what that is. And I pray, God, that we would be able to remove whatever's standing in the way of you having all of us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would receive all of me, that you can have my whole heart that you would use me how you want to use me, Lord. God, I pray that as a body, as a community, as this church in this place, I pray that you would use us, that we would be available, that we would make ourselves available, that we would be faithful to be the people you have called us to be in this place. God, would you remove whatever stands in our way? God, would you show us who you've called us to be? Show us who you've called BFCN to be and help us to be those people, to be that body. Lord, I pray that you would be with each person here in this place those who are watching from home, I pray, God, that you would draw near to them. I pray that we would all receive your word this morning 
I pray that you would comfort those who need comforted today. Be with those who are heavy-hearted this morning. Be with those, Lord, who are not able to be here. Be with those who are sick. Lord, would you just draw near to us in the way that we need you to this morning? Would you give us more of you? And Lord, we love you this morning. We say thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, that you call us yours. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. While I have you standing this morning before you... um, Before you sit down, I'd like to turn our attention to uh, the reading of our word, of God's word this morning. We're in James chapter 2, reading verses 14 through 26. This is the word of the Lord. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Although I wonder, are we thankful for this word this morning? You can be honest. (laughs) You can be honest and say, I just don't know how I feel about this right now. Let's see where this goes. And then, no, we we are thankful for this word of God that is going to be useful for teaching us this morning, right? We are thankful that God is going to meet us here with this word before us, and he's going to speak uh, something new and fresh to us this morning. See, if you've been in the church for really, I think, any length of time, but especially if you've been in the church for a while, at some point, you've probably picked up on the fact that you have James, who we've we've been in his epistle for several weeks now. You have James, and and you, you see him and his words and his teachings, but then you think about people like Paul, and you notice something. You notice that maybe from where you're sitting, these two guys seem to see things a little differently. 
Have you ever thought about that? Has, has anyone ever brought that up to you before? That how do we reconcile these two guys and their words and their teachings? Maybe you at some point have tried to reconcile Paul's teaching and championing of faith in Christ alone versus James and his championing of, of works. Right? And maybe you've read certain things from Paul and you wonder, how do I reconcile things that Paul says with what is before us this morning in the book of James? For instance, maybe you've read in Romans chapter 3 things that Paul says like this Where then is boasting? It is excluded because of the law, the law that requires works? No, because the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. I don't know what I've gotten myself into this morning because I don't know where we go from there. That's pretty tricky, right? And then there's Martin Luther, who if you're not familiar with Martin Luther, that's okay. Go Google him later. If you're, we're not talking about Martin Luther King, by the way, but Martin Luther, church reformer. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, go Google him. He's got a fascinating um, life and history, and he is the lead key figure in what we call the Protestant Reformation. Okay, and Martin Luther, just so you know, was very inspired by the words of Paul. And Martin Luther really appreciated Paul's emphasis on faith, faith alone, and that didn't appear to be adding up to what Martin Luther was seeing within the church at that time. The church at that time seemed to be putting a lot of emphasis on works and, and, and rituals and things that you have to do and boxes that you have to check and his passionate response, I think unexpectedly for him and for others, ignited this reformation that you and I are a product of. And it was this highly effective reformation that took place within the church. And Martin Luther, I just wanted you to know, I, I found this interesting. You may be completely bored by this. If so, we'll just forget it and move on. But I found it very interesting that Martin Luther apparently, I guess there's some things that we don't know for certain, but apparently after all the studying and, and, and reading I did this week, Martin Luther had a big problem with the book of James. And Martin Luther really questioned James. He questioned James as a person, and he would use arguments like the guy doesn't even talk about Jesus. So why do we need his book? And, and it's said, again, I don't know for sure, it's probably maybe some speculation based on what people knew and learned from Luther and his ways, but it's speculated that in his German Bible, where I guess the books of the Bible were kind of loosely put in and you could move them around, I guess, I assume, he would take the book of James along with some other books that we won't mention, and he would put them at the back of his Bible, and he would not list them in the table of contents. It said, I don't know for sure, it said that Martin Luther had that much of an opinion about James and was a little bit unsure, not a little bit, a lot unsure, about what James says, and he was a huge fan of Paul, that, that he just was not going to have it. And he, it said again that he wanted to remove the book of James from the Bible altogether, that didn't happen, and I, for one, am very grateful. But, but it's things like this that can be difficult for us to reconcile. How do we reconcile that? Martin Luther is a key figure in the church, 
right? He's a key figure in the history of our foundation and of the church. How do we reconcile his strong opinions about James and then what we see ourselves? That these two men and these two writings seem to contradict one another. So what are we to do with that? What are we to do? And maybe we should ask the question this morning, once and for all, are James and Paul actually contradicting one another? As Luther believed and as many might believe. Are they contradicting one another? We'll come back to that later. But James, as, as we just read this passage, James seems to just be... <laughs> James seems to just be further digging his heels in the ground, and he is just standing firm, speaking harder and harder truths to the Christian people, to the people of God, to to followers of Jesus, and he's continuing to build upon this theme that you are very well acquainted with at this point of talking versus doing. That's kind of the essence of the whole book of James. I feel like this is a very climactic passage, and the whole book of James seems to be kind of surrounding this idea of talking versus doing. And as we talked about last week, we talked a lot about this last week and this one specific example that James gives, but it seems again that James is saying, I'll just repeat it again this week, James seems to be saying something along the lines of, you know all the things, but you don't do any of the things. That's just how young people talk today. We, we really like by the way, those of you who were around the fire last night at our block party, that's another one I need to throw out there. Sandy, Stu, Larry, Shelly, we like to say all the things. <laughs> I'll tell you more about that later if you're interested. We had a great conversation about generations and language. <laughs> but, but he seems to be saying, you know really well the words of God and the scriptures, but you, your actions don't line up with what you preach and what you seem to know. And this word before us, I'll just say it, it's a tough one. This passage before us today is a tough one because the language just seems to be getting stronger. I feel like his language is just getting stronger and it's getting harder and harder to, to digest. And he says this, he makes this bold claim that faith without deeds is dead. And that apart from our actions, what we do as a result of our faith that we're dead. And I'm just going to be real and raw and honest with you this morning. That word dead that he uses brings to mind really gory images of like a dead corpse. Like as dead, sorry, I know, that's really unpleasant, but as dead as dead can be. Like he doesn't want you to, to, to this shouldn't be easy for you. This should be confrontational and hard because he's saying dead as in a dead corpse. It's unpleasant. It's ugly. It's rotting. It's gone. It's dead. There's nothing left. And so he asked this rhetorical question at the beginning of the passage. He says, what good is it if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? We can also understand that to mean no actions as a result. In other words, I feel like James is saying you don't actually believe this, do you? I feel like James is just making no bones about it. He is just going to stand there and say straight up to your face, you don't actually believe this nonsense, do you? You don't actually believe that this faith alone will save you, do you? And he seems to be, when he uses that word save, he seems to be speaking in eschatological terms, which that's a big word, and basically that means he's speaking about judgment. 
He seems to be speaking about judgment, that on judgment day, you don't believe that just believing in God will save you, right? Ooh, that's hard. And some of you are really uncomfortable right now, I can tell. I am too. Because that's hard. That seems to be the the argument or the claim that James is making. Then he gives two examples of, of what I think are dangerous beliefs or dangerous ways of living for Christians. He gives two examples. The first one is this image of, of seeing a person who walks by and they are without clothes and without food. And then somebody in response does nothing. I want to make this really uncomfortable for you, even more uncomfortable. I pictured, when I read this, I couldn't help but think about those disturbing images of kids that you see on like a commercial or like on the front of a a brochure for compassionate ministries of some kind. And it's just this child that's just skin and bones. And they're like in their underwear because they have no food. They don't have enough food, if any, and they have no clothes. I picture that. For whatever reason, that's the picture that came to my mind. And then I imagine somebody having the nerve to walk up to a child who looks like that and says something along the lines of, oh, oh, I am praying for you. Oh, go in peace, and I hope that you will be warm and well-fed. Can you imagine? I don't know a single person who would do that who could do that, knowing that you can actually do something for this child, knowing that you may not be able to give them the world, but you could probably easily give them almost everything they need for a while, and and that being the response. It's like James is, is using this strong language that's communicating a very urgent need that is met with just empty remarks. Language that essentially says, go, go, go. And when he says go in peace, it's almost language that's like, go away. Just go away. Go away. Get your life together, and then maybe God will bless you. Go. I think James wants us to have this really uncomfortable picture in our mind because that's how absurd. Because what I just described is absurd, right? Uh, none of you, none of you would meet that kind of exam- that situation with such empty remarks. And so it's like James is saying, that's how crazy it is to say that you can have faith alone and nothing as a result or in response to that faith. And then he gives another example. And scholars say that verses 18 through 20, I don't know if this is true. I had a really hard time with with understanding this or why, but scholars seem to note that that verses 18 through 20 are some of the most difficult to translate in the New Testament. So take that for what it is. I'm strictly teaching you what I read because it's that difficult and I don't want to make it any more difficult. But but he also seems to be using this ancient, um, unique ancient rhetoric where the writer will have this imaginary antagonist. Apparently that was something that was common for this time. And so James is imagining this antagonist who would say something like, because he says, but someone, imaginary antagonist, will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Or, Or I have faith and you have deeds. And another way of saying that is is just saying, well, you know, you are called to do, you're called to do all the things, and I'm just called to have faith. That's just what my calling is. And and it's imagining that 
that we are called to one or the other. That some of us are called or were created to just believe and have faith, and that was our, our calling. And that some of us were, were just created or called to be the ones that do. And I'm not trying to, you know, this is not specific for this church, but in churches and in the church, we see this a lot with the congregation and the pastor, and the pastors are typically expected to do the doing, and it's, it's pretty typical for, for congregations to say, well, we just show up and hear the, the sermon and the message, and we have faith and believe, but we pay you to do the things. What else are we paying you for? I mean, we're, we're giving you our money to go do the things. And I just have to say that I don't think that's the way it ought to be. Not because I don't want to do the things, because I'm certainly called to do but I think we are all called to do. I don't think this is a congregation versus pastor kind of thing, but sometimes we just get in that mindset and that's what we actually start to live out and believe. And so James seems to be making and reinforcing this argument that you can't have one faith without the other actions, that they must go hand in hand. And then he uses this challenging example of demons he's like okay you have faith in God you believe in God and that's it well good congratulations you're on par with the demons you're on the same level in the same playing field as the demons according to what James is saying because the demons have knowledge and faith and belief in God and guess what it makes them shudder they're terrified they shudder because they believe in God Almighty why else would they be terrified they believe in God they believe that he is the Almighty, but they don't submit to the rule and reign of King Jesus. They don't do anything with that belief. They just shudder. That's the only thing they do is, is shudder because they know. And so perhaps what James is saying, and this is just a reminder from last week, is that God has always been a God that has commanded his people and his community to do something. That's always been who God is. This is not new. This is not new with Jesus, and it's not new for today. It's always been. God has always commanded his people from the very beginning to love God and to love neighbor. For his people, where we are, where he has placed us, if anyone among us has need, we are to be open-hearted and open-handed, and we are called to go and be and do. So then James gives, are you with me? There's a lot to unpack here, so stay with me, stay, stay awake, stay alive. Then James gives two examples of what this should look like. We kind of got the two examples of what it shouldn't look like, and this is dangerous behavior. And now here are examples of, of what this should look like. And just understand that his Jewish audience, the, the, the recipients of this message would have connected with what James says next because he talks about Abraham and listen Abraham was a big deal among the Jewish community you know last week we talked about celebrities and kind of how we revere them and put them on this special platform and they get all of our special attention well Abraham would have been a celebrity so to speak kind of a person they would have immediately perked up and oh Abraham yes father Abraham who is highly regarded and revered among the Jewish community. So James says, Abraham, you know, he did what God asked him to do. And this was before Moses. 
So this was pre-written law, pre-commandments, pre-here's the list of do's and don'ts. Abraham just had to wake up every day and do what God called him to do. He had to go where God called him to go. And he was credited as righteous because he always, or for the most part, did what God asked him to do. Abraham doesn't always do this perfectly. There's times in scripture where we see Abraham do what God did not ask him to do, and it blows up in his face because, amen, that's what happens, right? That's what happens when we try to go do it on our own. It typically blows up in our face. But James is specifically talking about stepping out with faith and obedience when it comes to his only son, Isaac. And when God called Abraham to do something as a result of his faith, Abraham, do you believe? Do you believe in me? Do you have faith in me? If you do, will you hold, withhold your only son from me? And Abraham, and I just love, if you have, please go, re, go reread the story of Abraham and Isaac. There is just nothing more humbling than, than reading about Abraham and just imagining this man of God who is just confidently walking his son to lay him down on the altar, knowing 100% confident that God is going to be faithful, that God is going to provide. Don't worry, the lamb will show up. God's going to provide. I'm just going to do what God has called me to do, and I know he will be faithful. For Abraham, he didn't just believe, but his belief and faith in God, it empowered him to do what most of us probably couldn't realistically do. And so you, you, like the Jewish audience before James, would have said, well, James, that was Abraham, and we are not Abraham, okay? You can't put us on the same level as Abraham, as Father Abraham, because he was a righteous man of God, and, and we, surely you can't hold us to that same level. And I'm not saying that Abraham should necessarily be elevated in that way, but I do appreciate how James is like, okay, you want to look at a contrast? Let's talk about the prostitute Rahab, okay? You can't get any more opposite of Father Abraham, father of the Jewish community, than Rahab the prostitute, who, whose faith in God, even though it may have been a little bit, we don't understand what that looked like with her, what that relationship and knowledge of God looked like, but as a result of a faith and a respect for God, did something and what did she do? Rahab demonstrated the very basic character of God himself. One that God expects of his people, and that is offering hospitality. Not just hospitality, but hospitality that could have gotten her killed. It's crazy what she did. It's suicide what she did. She invited spies from another nation, another country to come into her home and then lied about where they went to save them. And she could have been killed for that. But because she knew enough about this God, we don't know what she knew and what that looked like in her heart, but she knew enough about this God to have faith and that faith moved her to do something that again, most of us wouldn't have the courage to do, if we're honest. I don't know if I could do it. But that's what even a small glimpse of God can cause us to do, to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Okay, are you with me? 
All right, to recap, we talked about two examples of what, God, of what James says, this is not okay, this is dangerous living, and here's two examples of what it does look like. But now let's bring Jesus into the picture. Because some even might say, well, that was Old Testament times, and that's Old Testament examples. Can you make this a little more relevant for us today? And because we take our cues from Jesus, what does Jesus have to say about faith and works? And I just want to say, buckle up, because it's about to get a little sobering. Because there's two key moments in Scripture, two sobering passages where Jesus seems to be speaking in the same eschatological language, meaning language of judgment, when it comes to faith and works. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. If this isn't sobering, I just don't know what is, church. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a key moment in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has just spent all this time laying out what it looks like to live as people of God. He just spent all this time talking about if you call yourselves people of God and people of me, people of Jesus, this is the way. This is how you ought to live. This is how you orient yourselves. This is what it looks like. This is what you should do. And then at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, but guess what? Not everyone's going to do this. Not everyone is actually going to live how I've called them to live. And then later on in Matthew 25, there's the sobering story of the sheep and the goats. You remember? The sheep, although stubborn and ornery, are the ones who know their master's voice and they come to him when he calls. And the sheep are the ones who, who are invited to inherit and experience the reality of the kingdom of God. The sheep are the ones who fed the hungry, who gave the thirsty something to drink. The sheep are the ones who invited in the stranger, Rahab, right? Hospitality. The sheep are the ones who clothed and took care of the sick. The sheep are the ones who visited the imprisoned. And then there's the goats. The goats are, are turned away. The goats are, are not going to be recipients or, or experience the kingdom of God. They are the ones who did not feed the hungry. They did not give the thirsty something to drink. They did not show hospitality to the stranger. They did not clothe the naked. They did not take care of the sick. And they did not visit the imprisoned. And the sum of this sobering passage is when Jesus says, Whatever you did... For the least of these, you did for me. Because they're all shocked. They're like, wait, what? When did we see? Whatever you did for them, you did for me. And at the same time, whatever you did not do for them, you did not do for me. That should humble us all. I'm not saying we should live in like, you know, everyday fear of, of that passage and think, am I saved? Am I not? Am I getting in? Or am I out? But, but at the same time, that should, should cause us to pause and to ask the question, am I doing as a result of my faith and new life in Christ? Am I doing? At the beginning of the sermon, we talked about how to reconcile what Paul says with what James says about faith and actions. And we asked the question, 
Are these things contradicting? And what do we do with that? Well, I just have to say, this is just me. I don't believe that James contradicts what Paul says. I don't believe that it does. I believe that James compliments what Paul says. I think we should understand that Paul warned Christians of particular works of the law that was often oppressive and to not buy into that thinking that that's how you earn your salvation. Paul had strong words of warning saying, doing all of these things, these things that are sometimes oppressive for other people, this is not going to earn your salvation. But salvation is the direct result of putting your faith in Jesus alone, for he is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through him, and the only way to experience freedom is by putting your faith in him alone. And James compliments this because he never once refers to rituals, he never once refers to the list of do's and don'ts, he never once refers to the dietary or purity laws, but instead James is saying this is a social implication of your faith and what you believe. And we should remember too that Paul himself had regard for the poor, that Paul too thought there was something we should be doing in response to our new life in Christ. Do you want an example? I had them ready for you just in case you were going to ask. In Galatians 2, Paul says, remembering the poor, remember the poor, which is the very thing I myself am eager to do. Galatians 5, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Through love. Paul has in mind, yes, salvation and justification happen through faith in Christ alone. But I think for Paul, that was only the beginning. That was not to be the final outcome. And I think Jesus himself, and reaffirmed by James and Paul in their teaching, try to make something very clear. It's not about faith or actions. It's not about faith and deeds. It's about faith and actions. It's realizing that the two are inseparable, that they work together, and that both are required. Church, listen, it's about realizing that real faith that's in a real, living, saving, redeeming Savior will absolutely produce a changed lifestyle and a changed behavior in us, because how could it not? If we believe in a real, redeeming Savior that is making all things new, how could we not participate in that? How could we withhold that for ourselves and never extend that to anyone ever? As Paul says, it's Christ's love that compels me. It's because of Christ's love for me and in me that I have to do these things. It's not a choice. I have to do it because it's what is expected of me it's what Jesus did, and it's what I have to do. And so, yes, for many Christians, the flawed way of thinking about salvation is by no smoking, no drinking. What's the old saying? Don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, which, by the way, is that right? Because I think it should be don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with boys who do, because I feel like... Girls are probably not chewing. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was a, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't screen that before it came out. I'm sorry. But I just always wondered about that. I don't know. But that's what it looks like, right? To many Christians, that's what salvation looks like. 
Don't smoke, don't drink, and make sure you show up every Sunday, perfect attendance to church. Make sure you're supporting the institution of the church through tithes. That's salvation in a nutshell for many Christians. But I think that's so flawed. And God help us if that's what salvation is and if that's the only thing that's expected of us in our minds. I think it's about, rather as a result of salvation and new life, we should instead be asking What are we doing? What am I doing? I, Nicole, what am I doing to meet the spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical needs of my neighbor? It's about living intentionally with eyes wide open, hearts ready and willing to serve. Church, what I want you to understand this morning is that faith and actions go hand in hand, and they shouldn't be separated and, and stick with me, I'm almost done. Perhaps what's most interesting about this passage is in verse 22, when James is talking about Abraham, you're going to like this. He says, when he's talking about Abraham, his faith and actions were working together. Those three words, were working together, is one Greek word, and that Greek word is synergio. I totally butchered it, by the way. Synergio, or yeah, And that Greek word is where we get the word synergy. And do you know what synergy means? Synergy means to work together, to cooperate with. And that's what faith and actions must do. For the church, for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, faith and action cooperate with one another, and they work together, and they should never be separated. So as we close... You know I have to throw a scholar in there because they always say it so much better. They say, he, a scholar Timothy, Luke Timothy Johnson says, James's point is not that deeds give life, but they express life, demonstrating that life is present. The obvious assumption is that whatever living must act. Whatever is living has to to do. So church, I don't know about you. I'm going to invite the praise team to come back up. And as they do, I don't know about you, but I can't get past the whole faith without action is dead. That really bothered me this week. That stuck with me. Maybe probably not very very healthy or good, but that seemed to be what stuck with me more than almost anything. Because all I could think this week is I don't want a faith that's dead. Like, I'm kind of terrified of having a faith that's dead. I'm terrified not even just because of what might happen on Judgment Day when Jesus is looking at how I lived as a result of what I believe. Like, did your actions actually express what you believe? But I'm afraid, I'm terrified that I'm going to miss opportunities all around me to point others to this new life that's available in Christ. I'm terrified of having a faith that is dead. And yet, it's as if James wants to reiterate, wants us to understand church. He wants us to understand that if we separate faith and actions, it would, be, it would appear that all you're left with is a dead corpse. And then thinking about the church as a whole, the church as a body, I don't want us to be dead. Do you? I don't want to be a dead corpse. 
I want to be a living, breathing testament to the new life and redemption found in Jesus. And that is seen in what we do, how we show up for others and how we live toward our neighbor. I think we should be a body, a people whose faith in Jesus is alive. It's alive in what we do for others, how we live in relationship toward others, and how we obey God coming under the rule and reign of King Jesus. But the most important thing of all, because as I'm thinking, oh, I'm terrified of having a faith that's dead, the Holy Spirit reminds me, ahem, Nicole, hello, it's not about you, it's about me. And guess what? If you invite me in, and if you are paying attention and you're aware, I'll do the work. I'll do the work within you, and I'll show you what to do. And I said, thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me that we can't do this on our own. That I can stand up here and give you the most motivational speech or sermon, and you can have all the good intentions of going out there and doing all the things and miserably fail because you forgot that, oh wait, it's the Holy Spirit that works in and through and goes before, right? Okay, yes. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us that we can do what we've been called to do. Having faith that he will guide us every moment of every day if we're paying attention. So we're going to sing now, Lord, I need you. And I, I love this song. I love the reminder of this song, the obvious reminder of how much we need the Lord. That apart from the Lord moving in and among us, we are, are and us responding to that, we are left with a dead corpse. And I keep thinking this morning about Abraham and the altar. And you always know that this is a time of response, Right? And you probably know by now that you can respond to the Lord however you feel comfortable to do so. And, and sometimes that means by coming forward. And just a friendly reminder, you don't need an invitation to come forward. That you can come forward anytime you want to. You can pray in your seat if you want to. But this morning, I just can't get the picture of Abraham out of my mind. When he brings his everything lays it down before God and doesn't even appear to, to waver knowing that God is going to meet him there at the altar giving him exactly what he needs to go and do and be. And so this morning, I don't know, maybe you'll find it appropriate to respond by once again bringing your everything to the altar, however that works in your mind, laying it down before God saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I can't do this without you every moment. I need you. And church, may we come together and unite this morning knowing that, that we, need, we need a fresh new pouring of the Holy Spirit. We need it. Like, I, I'm desperate for it. I don't know about you, but I'm desperate. I'm desperate, even if that means staying until 11.45. I'm desperate. I'm desperate for more of him. And so I just pray that you, with the same urgency, with the same burden and same desperation, that you would just come boldly before God 
open-handed, open-hearted, saying, Lord, I need you. And I have faith that God will meet us here and do it again. Amen. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for being our defense this morning. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that where sin had a word, your word was greater, and it was the final word that was there for our defense. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have been forgiven. We have been saved. We have been made new. We have been made right and just before you this morning. And yet at the same time, there is a, there's a whole world that is dying apart from that knowledge and that reality. And that that should weigh so heavy upon us. That how could we not go and do and be as a result of this new life in Christ? And God, I'm just going to say it. We're a bunch of wrinkly old dead Christians. And we need you to make us new again. We need you to come. Go before. Make us new Empower us again. Ignite us again. Reignite that passion within us. Compel us, God. It's your love that compels us. God, I just pray that as we prepare to leave this place, God, I thank you for how you are going to meet these needs before us. You are going to go before us and make a way for us. And I believe, God, that you are going to do new things. You're going to do a new thing in me. You're going to do a new thing in those that are in this place. And I believe, God, that you're going to do a new thing in the lives of those that are touched by the people in this place. Because he who has called us is faithful. And God, we wholeheartedly give you the glory and the praise. For it's not me. It's the holiness of Christ that is within me. It's the living, reigning King Jesus within me. And the Holy Spirit of God that is in me and goes before me. And we give you the glory and the praise for what you are going to do. We praise you, God, that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And we are going to go emboldened with that truth and that knowledge. And we're going to share that with everyone. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Can I just say thanks be to God? Can I just say thank you, God, for, for moving among us? At least in me. <laughs> I, I sense that he was moving in all of us, but thanks be to God for doing a new thing in my heart and continuing to just speak to me and get me back to that right mindset of living, doing, and being. I just wanted to say thank you, God. Praise God. Well, let me share some announcements with you this morning. There's a lot going on, so just hang tight. Um, 
if we wanted to take the whole 1145 thing seriously, then I still have 10 minutes, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, but we do have several announcements going on. First, I just want to report that last night we had a lovely block party. It was a perfectly respectable time. Are any of you still in the room? Okay, sorry, that was another inside joke. It was a great time. with We had... Um, you know, we have two families within the church that live in, in the neighborhood of Lake Christine, but we had four other families come out and join us, and it was a pretty chilly evening, so perhaps we would have had more, but the weather changed pretty quickly, and it was a really chilly evening, but we had a great time. Uh, we got to make some pretty meaningful connections, and I just saw neighbors who have lived by other neighbors for like 20-something years and yet never talked to said neighbors, and so they were meeting each other last night, and, and they expressed expressed um, a lot of, of thanks for, for just us providing the place. And so I just want to share that with you. We plan to make that a regular occurrence, um, of course, when the weather cooperates, probably again in the spring. But I just want to report to you, I've been talking to you about that, and I just wanted to let you know that that, that went really well, I think. Um, I want to let you know, too, that tonight there is a zone rally at the Roxana Church of the Nazarene at 6 p.m., and that's where we are going to get to hear from missionary speakers Bruce and Cinda McKellops, and they're going to just kind of give us a, a report, and, a, and a, a, they're just going to share what God is doing on the mission field in and through them and, and others as well. So if you're interested, come on out for that tonight. We'll be there, um, and it'll be good to see you. Weather permitting, next week we're going to have planning to have an outdoor service because we thought that went really well last week and um, we'll see I don't know what the forecast is going to show so that you know will definitely depend on what the weather says so pay attention to that um, but just know that if it's nice we plan to do that again we're planning a work day again weather permitting for Saturday October 30th at 9 a.m. just to take care of a few things on the grounds that need attention so put that on your calendar if you are able to come in and participate in that um, let me just give you a little bit of context here for this next one. So we have a homeschool co-op that meets in our building once or every Wednesday, once a week on Wednesdays. Um, there's like 200 plus people here in our building. Like I come upstairs to get some water and it's just like there's people everywhere and it's amazing. But, but this, uh, this really great homeschool co-op meets here every Wednesday and the, the group, the homeschool co-op group is going to be putting together shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And, and they are still in need of new pairs of socks to put in each of the boxes. And so they simply extended that to us and said, hey, if you want to let your church know that, that this is what we still need to complete our boxes, then, then that's an invitation for us to participate in filling those boxes for Operation Christmas Child. And then maybe next year we talked about really partnering with them and, and our church providing some boxes and more things for the boxes as well. But all that to say, please bring your fresh new pairs of socks. We don't want your old ones. Only the new ones still in the package, please, for that, okay? And there's a box out in the lobby you can drop that off in. Um, just want to remind you, too, about we shared with you a few weeks ago how close we are to paying off um, the, the loan for our, for our building, and it's our remaining debt, and we're, we're so close to that goal of paying that off, and we'd like to get that paid off by the end of the year. And so this is just a simple reminder for you um, that if you haven't considered that, just be thinking about that. No, I don't have that one on my 
iPad, Jim. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and then finally this morning, um, Nicole Whitney, Nikki Whitney would like to ask that anybody that is um, on the praise and worship team, that if you would stay just a few minutes after the service, meet maybe just right up here or right over here, wherever you want to gather, wherever she is, go where she is. Um, and she just wants to, you know, make sure that you guys are on the same page with some things coming up. And so if you wouldn't mind just giving her a few minutes uh, of your time today. And I think that's everything. It's not everything. Thing, though. Oh, the board does have one announcement to make. It is an annual event and it's happening this Wednesday, October 20th. And it is Pastor birthday. Nicole's birthday. <laughs> and Denise's birthday. And also my birthday as well. Yes. I have to say that. We can't ignore that. It's your birthday so, too. <laughs> yes, on behalf of the church, here's a small Thank gift you. for you. Thank you, Denise. And would you all like to join me in singing happy birthday to oh. Pastor Nicole? Yay. And Denise. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, Pastor Nicole, happy birthday to you. Okay, thank you. Yeah, so Denise and I share a birthday on Wednesday, Nikki's birthday's tomorrow, so... We will not tell you the order of the age that we are all turning, but just know it goes something like 31, 32, 33. But the details of who is what, it doesn't matter, okay? So don't ask. Don't ask. All right. Would you all stand with me this morning? Brothers and sisters in Christ, I pray that you would go in the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior, and I pray that you would go and do and be this week. You are loved. You are dismissed. Have a beautiful day.